All right, everyone. Welcome back to the Alligator Sports Podcast. It is the March 16th edition of the podcast. We were off last week because of spring break. Jackson and I were kind of busy anyway. We were down in Tampa for the SEC tournament. That was really fun to go down, experience that firsthand, go to a different arena and cover a game was interesting. It was really cool to go down there together, watch the game. Um, Jackson put out a game story for it. I was live tweeting the entire time. It was a really cool experience. Um, Jackson, how was your time in Tampa, man? Uh, it was awesome, you know. Um, I've never been to Emily Arena before. Obviously, you're a big Lightning fan, Joe, so you have. But that was my first time there. It's, it's nice. Um, and then, like, just the whole experience of covering the game was pretty amazing. Like, getting to sit as close as we did. I don't know about you, but I've never – I don't think for any sporting event – like, I don't think the media table has ever been that close to the action that I've covered. And then, yeah, I mean, it's just cool. You know, it's conference tournament basketball. It's always fun. It's always exciting. The game was very exciting, even from an unbiased perspective. Um, obviously, Florida loss uh, took a, a very painful last second L to Texas A&M, who, you know, to their credit, did go on to the – the semifinal of the SEC tournament. They went all the way to the final. They went all the way to the final. Yeah, A and M. I'll say they got screwed by the selection committee. They should have been in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, they, they were right on that same bubble as Florida in the next four out when they when that game played on mm-hmm. Thursday, and then they won, which gave them the leg up over Florida. Florida was knocked out at that point that's why that game was as intense as it was everybody knew the stakes going on yeah and then a&m went on to win three games in a row and then in the sec tournament and just didn't make it in yeah including beating the top seed and number four team in the country auburn and still wasn't enough i was surprised i thought the Aggies were going to get in yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I guess if you want to side with the committee, which nobody ever does, but <laughs> it, I guess you could discredit that Auburn win by, you know, saying that Auburn has lost to bad teams plenty of times throughout this season, or not bad teams, but less good teams. And then just as far as, you know, Texas A&M, yeah, I think they did get um, pretty screwed. It happens to a team every year, though. I think I saw a tweet this morning from the the Bracket Project, which is like basically like a collective database of all the results for like all the top bracketologists across the country. Um, uh, this from Texas A and M is like the fourth team in a row to be in ninety percent of those brackets and not actually get selected by the committee. So usually one team per year gets the short end of the stick, but it's especially painful for Texas A&M just because of how well they performed on the stretch. I think it was something like four quad wins, quad one wins in um, like eight, their last eight games or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was I mean, rough. If Florida was in that same situation and had that and won that game against A&M, beat Auburn, won another game and then went to the final and lost in the final, I think we would have been saying the same thing where we would think that would be enough for Florida to get in. That's what we talked about. Right. All the weeks leading up to the SEC tournament was they need to win 
two or more games in the SEC tournament and see what happens. And getting to Sunday in that conference tournament, the SEC has six teams in the NCAA tournament. It's a stacked league. Yeah, the SEC is is deep, and there's a lot of SEC teams in the tournament. And just as far as getting cut short like that, like it is unfortunate because, you know, Coach, Coach Williams is doing – I think really good things over at Texas A&M. Uh, talking to his players in post-game media after the game, you can tell they really have like a deep level of respect for him and like an admiration for how he coaches the team, um, which I guess is the formula to success with coaching. And you feel that from Florida's players with Mike White, but obviously, as we know now, it didn't work out the same. Uh, on Sunday, Mike White took the job offer at Georgia after Tom Green's departure. And it kind of shook up at least our, our group chats, our office, just cause it was print night. <laughs> and when breaking news drops at five 30 on a print night, that's not the easiest thing in the world. You're a soldier for that, but yeah, it's pretty wild news. Yeah, it was a, it was a crazy afternoon and evening to say the least. I, to just kind of give like background into how the alligator operates on a Sunday. We have a staff meeting at two that usually goes till about three from there. We take a couple like 30 minutes to kind of take a break before we get into print night stuff. Um, it's even a little more intense and like, you're kind of working the entire day as an editor um, just managing all the different stuff that's going in for the section for sports this Sunday in particular, I was, tasked with writing kind of a end of the season type thing even though Florida was still projected and did end up going to the NIT where we're going to talk about that later but not making the NCAA tournament losing in the SC tournament the way they did it did kind of mark an end of their season and end of their aspirations as a team so I was writing a piece about that I had just finished writing like an 800 word article most of it was focused on Mike White and kind of how this season is like mirrored his first season in at Florida. This season and his first season were the only two times that his teams had gone to the NIT. They both finished nine and nine in conference play. They were both sub 600 in regular season record overall. And both of those teams got bounced by Texas A&M in the SEC tournament. So lots of similarities there. And then I get a text message from one of my friends, right? As Jesse and I are wrapping up that article and about to move on with the process of getting it laid out for the paper and everything. And I get a text from a friend that says, Georgia just took Mike White. I immediately go to Twitter. I see the tweet from John Rostein from CBS sports and it's immediately a mad dash to try to confirm that news. And at that point, the article for print that was going to come regardless. It was mostly about getting stuff out on Twitter and making sure just the news was out and getting confirmed that way, which is always interesting with breaking news. And then like slowly other people from the Florida beat, I sent a text to 
the media connection for men's basketball that works at the Gators and slowly things just started to get confirmed and it was a call to the other sports editor, Jesse, shout out Jesse. He was amazing helping me through this entire process because it was a crazy whirlwind of like three hours and then sending just calling the big editors and being like, Hey, this is what's happening right now. Florida's losing a head coach in their second biggest sports program. And yeah, by the end of everything, I had an article on the front page, which is kind of crazy. It's interesting how that just happens, but it was really cool. The entire experience I was doing like this kind of job and covering it seemed like this at a school that's like this high profile. It's kind of like just living the dream, just doing what I like want to do for the rest of my career. So it was really cool. It's one of those moments that like kind of is just like feel good when you're writing. Like I felt that a lot at the SEC tournament too. It was just like, oh yeah, like this is the job I want to do forever. Like this feels good that I'm doing this right now. So yeah, I definitely see what you mean. But on the topic of white, like I feel like not just for you, but for probably him, it was a whirlwind of a day. The reports are that Florida gave uh, Georgia permission to interview white. Uh, They did an interview at like noon that Saturday and informed the team at five that day that he was leaving for Georgia. So a quick, it wasn't on Saturday. It was on Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. It was noon Sunday. It was a zoom meeting that lasted about two hours. And then from there, white informed the team, like you said, at five. And then news came out and started to, kind of leak out and became public at around 5 30 and then georgia posted a graphic on their athletics account a little after six and that was like confirmed confirmed yeah it's pretty wild it's not very often that like within the span of six hours the coaching change goes from pretty much i mean nobody i i didn't see this coming i don't think anybody anticipated this coming going from unheard of to leaked to confirmed in just a matter of six hours is a pretty wild turnaround but um yeah it's it's an odd circumstance for Florida obviously um Mike White this is his second time in his seven years with the Gators missing the NCAA tournament you know Florida prior to that had only missed it five times in the past 25 seasons um it's the third season in a row where Florida didn't reach 20 wins and this was definitely like approve it year for Mike White and so it wasn't the year that you want to have that kind of resume just because you know you've got so many seniors on the team so many talented seniors you know Tyree Appleby Colin Castleton all the transfers you want Flanders Fleming Myron Jones Brandon McKissick like Mike White had all of it it's it's like when you this is a weird analogy but we'll talk about football it's like when you bring in a bunch of weapons for your quarterback that you're unsure about and are like all right here's your prove it year you can't yeah. say that you don't have the weapons. You can't say you don't have a line protection per se. Prove that you are, you know, talented and capable of, you know, taking that position. And I think it's the same for White here. It's like, here's all your guys. Everything should be lining up. It's going to be a competitive SEC, but Florida should have a chance at it. And they just fell flat a lot of times this year. There was a lot of disappointing performances and definitely an overall disappointing season. Um, 
And now Florida's in an odd position trying to figure out who their next head coach will be. Yeah, I'd like – I'm sure I would and a lot of fans and a lot of other media members would like to see kind of the alternate reality where the Georgia job isn't on the table for White and that's not something he thinks about and he is just trying to go into the next season with Florida. Does that happen? Does he remain the head coach without him taking his own action and deciding to leave? And I had always said that I don't think Strickland was in a position where he was about to fire Mike White. I don't think he was. I agree. And I think there's just been a lot of turnover in the Florida Athletics Department as a whole. It's something I touched on in my article that on June 1st of last year, so 2021 over the summer, three head coaches, Mike White, Dan Mullen, and Cameron Neubauer were all given contract extensions of varying length on the same day. It was a big announcement, like hyped up by the school. Everybody was like, this is a huge deal. It's going to be really, really good. Mullen got scrapped because of poor play. White now left because of what is being called a toxic fan base, according to a Mark Long tweet, which I feel like is a pretty reputable source. And then everybody knows what was going down with Cameron Neubauer and why he decided to leave on his own terms, even though that was going to come crashing down anyways and did. But the tweet from Mark Long is really interesting. I'm going to pull it up and just read it. Yeah. Um, he says Mike White is leaving Florida for Georgia, and it shows just how badly he and his family wanted out. It had become really toxic with a vocal segment of the fan base, and White didn't want his young kids affected by it at school and via social media. I, I, I honestly, I have to, you know, as disappointing as the season the performance was, like Mike White is like a genuinely good person. I agree. Uh, he's very respectful. He's always been kind to me and all the other media members. He's never snarky he's never rude he just answers your questions exactly how you ask them he's a good guy Uh, obviously he's a family man Uh, he doesn't want his kids being harassed about his dad's job like that's just not a position that most kids are in where you know not everybody's dad is a head coach of an sec basketball team with fans with super high expectations i i do have to note that like florida fans have high high standards i think I wasn't too familiar with that before arriving on campus and starting to work with the alligator. But since my last semester, like I've noticed like the standards here, like the gator standard is a very real thing. And yeah, it's crazy. It, people take it very, very seriously, especially online. Um, interesting move going to, you know, the biggest rival the school has to avoid, you know, getting heat on social media. I don't know if that's going to go away anytime soon for that reason, especially when the Bulldogs come back in town next season. But I don't know. I think the move was right for both sides at this point, honestly. Obviously, Mike White's unhappy with the situation that he's been put in with, like, the the fan base and the culture like that. Um, Florida, at least on the fan base side, which is probably where the toxicity comes from, has been – almost begging for a change, especially on Twitter. All you see is, you know, fire Mike White, fire Mike White. I mean, it's been Um, like three, almost four years now that people have wanted White gone. Yeah, I mean, imagine if every time we put a paper out, somebody like 
put out a tweet like Joseph Henry stinks. He needs to be fired from the Allen Gator. And you do that from your freshman year to junior, like three years of being tormented about how bad you are. Your job can't be easy, but it's just, it's what it is being an SEC basketball coach. Um, I think George is going to be a much better situation for white. Um, I agree. The expectations at Georgia for basketball are just lower. They're just much lower, especially off the heels of Tom Green, who just went six and 26. And like that's a a football national championship. Like Georgia's all in on their football team right now. I don't think. Yeah. Like Georgia, the shadow you're coming out of is Tom Green, who was at Georgia for what a lot of people would say was too long. A lot of people have been calling for him to be fired. And then, this season was really, really bad. Um, worse in the league in the SEC by a pretty good margin. And it's just very different than the situation that White entered in at Florida, which was coming after Billy Donovan, who's, you can talk about it, is one of, as in the modern era of college basketball, is one of the best college head coaches there is yeah change the game really like just kind of change how the game is played how it's marketed everything he's a he's a pillar of college basketball so yeah following that up isn't easy um obviously you know white did the best he could you know he tried a lot of different things he tried to make it work but it just didn't and i think he'll relatively i don't know if he'll actually like I don't know. I don't know how long it would take for Georgia and Mike White to eclipse 20 wins or something like that. But I think relatively he'll have more success. He'll be welcomed with a little bit more open arms. I think the Georgia fan base will will like Mike White, honestly. Yeah, I certainly agree. And I know a lot of media members have said this on Twitter, but definitely a lot of well wishes towards Mike White. Like you said, always great towards the media. I've never had a problem with him personally. It's always been like, even as like a fan of teams and stuff like that throughout, like if I look at like NFL teams or NBA teams, when I'm looking at coaching or players stuff like that, it's always just like a personal thing for me to like divide, like play versus how they are as a person and knowing that there's like lines that should and shouldn't be crossed. And the Florida fan base, like you said, as passionate as they are, they really struggle to see that line sometimes, I think. <laughs> like, I think they're almost blind to it at this point. And, like, if, like, we can say this on a podcast and if they listen and there's passionate Florida fans that listen to this and are just like, oh, these kids, whatever, I don't care what they say, like, that's probably going to be the general response because Florida fans are pretty ruthless and I don't think they're changing anytime soon. So whoever decides to take that job, um, buckle up. You better have some good seasons. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's probably where we should move to next is where does Florida go from here? You know, who do they bring in next? Obviously, this is a coach Al Pinkins is going to be coaching Florida through the NIT, but I don't anticipate that Florida will want to stay with Mike White's system, his coaching tree. I don't think unless Pinkins – just, I don't know, wins the heart of every Florida fan and staff member throughout the NIT, which I just don't think the NIT is even the kind of platform where that's possible. Um, I think Florida will be looking for a new head coach in the offseason. Um, yeah, I, 
Go ahead. This is from a Saturday Down South article from Neil Blackman. He listed out a, a couple coaches that he think might work for Florida. And uh, I think probably the home run hire here is Tony Bennett from Virginia. Um, yeah, I don't know. He won, an, he won a national championship <clears throat> within the last couple of years, obviously. Um, he's been at Virginia for 13 seasons. Uh, it's going to be hard to convince him to come away from a, a team he just won a national championship with, you know, three years ago. But uh, he's definitely the kind of coach that Florida likes to go after in terms of character. I think um, my one problem with him, though, is that, like, his offensive pace is really slow. Like, Virginia is one of the lowest-ranked teams in terms of pace in the country. Um, they have a very, like, unique in how slow it is offense, and they're very defensively minded. But that's also kind of, like, the kind of mentality you need, especially when you're taking over a program whose coach just left on them. Like, you kind of have to be a very – fundamental base like a, a good anchor for your team so I think although it may be difficult like Florida definitely needs to give Tony Bennett a call yeah I also have an article pulled up from um friend of mine Brandon Carroll who works at um SI Allgators um he put out top top his top five coaching candidates at the top of his list is Mike McMahon from Murray State um, known obviously for the development of John Morant into the monster that he is. And that those teams, the Murray State teams, they're called the Racers for a reason. Their offense is super high tempo and would definitely be a different look for Florida basketball than the last seven seasons under White where the offense hasn't been Super crazy. They kind of play to the tempo of whatever the game is giving them. And more often than not, like to kind of keep things down tempo, more defensive heavy. He also lists Scott Drew from Baylor. Baylor's a really, really good basketball program. I think it would be kind of hard to steal a coach from Baylor at this point. I think yeah, Baylor, I, I think Baylor might have jumped Florida in pedigree over the last couple seasons. Well, Scott Drew, he's been there for 19 seasons. He just won a national yeah. championship with them. He's 51 years old. I don't think he – I think he'll probably retire as the head coach of Baylor. An easier task would probably be getting Jerome Tang, the associate head coach. Yeah, that's um, next on Brandon's list. Uh, he, I mean, yeah, I mean, Baylor's a great program. I, I, I've always really admired the way they recruit and the way they run their teams and like the kind of mentality they have. I feel like they're always, it's the level of consistency they have, especially under Drew has been admirable. Um, and then, you know, Jerome Tang would kind of follow in the, in the trend of, um, the Arizona head coach, Tommy Lloyd. You know, he was he was under Mark Few at Gonzaga for like who knows how long. And then, you know, he leaves for his own gig and Arizona goes 31 and three with a one seed in their very yeah. first year. So obviously the, the, the test case for bringing in uh, a big name associate head coach would be there. But I think, like you said, McMahon is probably my favorite hire out of all the top candidates. Um, Tang is Tang is an interesting one. And. 
Bennett is an, is a good coach, but I'm I'm turned off from his pace. Uh, and like you said, yeah. McMahon's teams play faster. Uh, they're top fifty in Ken Palm adjusted offense. In like, I think they've been they've done it like three times in his tenure, including this season. So, yeah, they, another one that Brandon has listed is Kelvin Sampson from Houston. Houston's another school that's was kind of like a mid-major for a little while, has really, really built up and risen up over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think those kind of programs are where Florida is going to try to go kind of like poach a coach from. Yeah. Teams like Houston, teams like Murray State that have been kind of on the up and up and had some like really dynamic electric seasons over the last couple of years. And then the last one on his list is Brad Underwood from Illinois. Similar deal with Illinois, like kind of under the radar for a minute there, but it made noise in the past. He's a great talent evaluator. Um, You know, Io DeSanlu and uh, their center. I can't remember his name now, but he's a good talent evaluator. He brings in, he brings in decent talent. I think another name that should be thrown out is uh, Anthony Grant from Dayton. I think he's, yeah, I think he's a similar type of um, archetype as like McMahon. You know, obviously, mid-major team on the rise a little bit. You know, playing better than they have in years past. But I think he's also a good talent evaluator. He typically has some of the better talent in the A10 conference. Obviously, he brought um, Obi Toppin in, who's now an NBA player. So he knows how to develop. You know, similar to McMahon, he knows how to find and develop NBA talent. Um, that's important in the SEC. Uh, another one that might be interesting is Dana Altman from Oregon. That's going to be a tough grab. I think he's probably pretty cushy with his spot at Oregon. It's a good job, but with Arizona being pretty much the big, you know, the big boys in the in the in the Pac-12 right now, after this season, uh, it may be possible to tempt him out of his job. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot on the plate for. For Florida, I think although like Florida basketball doesn't take priority over Florida football per se, I think it's closer to even than a lot of schools that have that dynamic. Yeah. And um, Florida isn't, you know, as much as it's, you know, sucks to have your head coach walk away, Florida isn't a decent spot. Like, you know, this is the same thing we talked about when we were talking about the football coaching hires. Uh, you know, Florida's a brand that people are attracted to. You know, it's a program people are attracted to because they know that the ceiling is national championships because it's been done before. Yeah. So I think a lot of coaches, uh, just as much as Florida is going to take a good look at them, they're going to take a good look at Florida and really think about it. But um, yeah, Florida is definitely going to have to hit the ground running and make a, a, a really a hire that everyone is happy with because if people were already unhappy with Mike White's tenure and then he leaves and then you hire a coach to replace him that people are not happy with, uh, the basketball team is going to be a bad spot, especially in terms of public perception. So, Yeah, one of the things I'm most interested about in this coaching search is how quickly Strickland goes about it. When Mullen got let go, I feel like because – that was an action that Florida took to fire Dan Mullen. 
they were already kind of doing their due diligence of thinking ahead. In this yeah. scenario, it sounds like Florida was relatively caught off guard by this decision by White. Yeah. I so it'll be interesting to see how fast they go with it because the turnaround from Mullen to Napier was pretty quick. Yeah, it was fast. It was much faster than I was expecting, honestly. But like you said, uh, it was probably in the works for a while already just because of, you know, the fact that Florida fired Dan Mullen. Dan Mullen didn't just walk away from the team. Like Florida knew this was coming. They had time to prepare for this. And then on the other hand, with Mike White, like you said, I think they probably knew just as much as any of us did. I mean, yeah. obviously we all knew Mike White wasn't happy and there was a possibility that he may leave for a job like Butler or something like that when the opportunity opens up. But I don't think anybody was expecting him to take the Georgia job and especially not in the matter of like five hours of the interview. So definitely a tough space. I think Florida's going to probably even wait till either after the tournament or after whoever their guys are, are no longer in the tournament. Yeah, um, I think it'll be interesting. I don't think there'll be a lot of coaches wanting to take interviews or schools that will allow their coaches to take interviews during the tournament. So I think Florida's going to have to chill a little bit, spend their time talking to coaches that perhaps aren't in the tournament or in the NIT or something like that, that they could be interested in and have better access to. I think it will be a slower process, but Strickland released a statement on Sunday saying that they've already hit the ground running on it, which they have to, it's got, that's going to be their top priority for the next month, basically. And yeah, the team playing in the NIT will be interesting. I'm super excited to see how the team on the court responds to Al Pinkins and not having white there and just what the dynamic is going to look like. Are they going to come out and lay an egg or are they going to come out and just go crazy on Iona? Like, I just don't know how they're going to respond to the SEC tournament loss, not making the big tournament. And then now their coach leaving for a rival school. It'll be very interesting. Yeah. It's going to be one way or the other. I think obviously, you know, at at the time of this episode coming out today, but at the time of this recording tomorrow is the, First round of the NIT, Florida's hosting Iona. So we'll be able to go to that game and check it out, get a little more tournament basketball. Not the ones, I don't think, not the the tournament we were hoping to cover, but a a tournament nonetheless, maybe another year. Hey, beggars can't be choosers. No, not at all. But um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, the NIT, it, it, it it gets a bad rap and for mostly a good reason. Like it is the second it's the second tier tournament it's for the teams that just barely missed it or had disappointing seasons and fell out of the tournament that they're usually in but there are talented teams in this you know in this bracket Oklahoma obviously they've beaten Florida in the past this season Xavier's in the bracket Utah State's pretty good Wake Forest was one of the better teams in the ACC and just missed the missed the tournament BYU's always pretty good St. Louis is a mid-major team but they're very talented and then like you said, like Florida can Florida can start hitting the ground running here. Virginia's in the NIT this year. You know, they missed out on the tournament. It was a tough year. So they can start talking to the coaches there. They can start, you know, looking around. But I think it is mostly just going to be focused on doing the best they can in the tournament. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I don't know how it's going to go, honestly. They're either going to come out 
you know, Iona plays worse competition than Florida. That's a given. They don't play in the SEC, but they're a 25 win team. And Rick Pitino is their head coach. Like they're a well-run team. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's going to be one or the other. Either Florida's going to come out angry, upset, and let that hold them back, or they're going to let that propel them to a decent run. Because I think if Florida can get some momentum, like they do have potential to win the whole thing. Because they, you know, even though this, this bracket is relatively talented, they still are one of the better teams in it. You know, they're the third seed in, in, their, in their segment. So not at all an a impossible challenge for Florida to do well in the NIT, but not not the best situation to be entering the tournament in. Yeah, I definitely agree. We can, we've recapped it. We've recapped everything, we've speculated. And now at this point, it's just waiting and seeing how the coaching search unfolds, um, what names really start to emerge as the big names and the possible candidates for this job. And then on the court, seeing how this team responds tonight as we're releasing this tomorrow as we're recording it is going to be interested and I'm really I'm just very interested to see how it all plays out at this point it's a it's certainly an interesting way for the first year on the on the basketball beat to come to an end but yeah it's been there's never a dull moment with Florida at this point after everything that went on with football everything going on with basketball now who knows what will be next later this semester. Yeah, it's been a turbulent one for sure uh, coming onto the beat. You know, the first game on the beat, they get crushed by Auburn. The next game, they come back to win against Vanderbilt. They do the same against Oklahoma State. Later on, they beat Auburn at home. It's been, it's been a wild. It's been a wild semester. But, yeah, at this point, it's like the as crazy as everything's been, this is the most uncertain time because we just have no idea what the team's direction is because it's just so early. So yeah, we just have to wait and see. Yeah. I think that'll about wrap it up for this week's episode. Kind of just talking about basketball, current state of the program and everything. We're just going to wait and see along with everybody else. And you know, we'll be here for updates as developments happen probably the rest of the semester. I'm assuming we'd have a coach named probably within a month or so. Yeah, that'll do it for us. We will see y'all next week. Who knows what we'll be talking about then. Maybe there'll be some major developments in this whole situation with the men's basketball program. The women's basketball team is going to the NCAA tournament. That's very exciting for them. Depending on what they get up to this weekend, there could be women's basketball talk next week. That would be exciting. So, yeah, that's all we got. See you then.